Uh, everybody, let's get started. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you this evening. We thank you so much for your kind interference in our lives. We love it that way because we want you in our lives. Lord, we thank you for uh, your guidance through your spirit. Lord, we thank you for uh, many blessings that we all have, of course. Lord, we pray that uh, the weather would not affect us physically so that we wouldn't get sick or anything like that. But Lord, we pray for uh, this week. We pray for Israel and their their conflicts that they're carrying out right now. And we pray for this country, Lord, because the caucuses in Iowa started tonight. And that means from now on, throughout the next three or four months, there's going to be an awful lot of political stuff going on, Lord. And we know that's in your control. So we pray for all of that. <clears throat> be with us this evening, Lord, as we, as we do study your word and uh, discuss things that are going on in the world. So thank you for being with us, guiding us and directing us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Marcy Monologue. I'm going to be reading it off my computer screen here. So I know the camera's right here. And I, if I look over at myself at the screen that I've got everybody on, it kind of looks like I'm looking away, and I am. But I'm going to look right here at the screen so I can read the stuff that I want to tell you about as far as Marcy, Marcy Monologue is concerned. Um, this first article is really kind of interesting because it's titled The World Versus Israel, and we know that's definitely true. There's no question about that. And this fellow is talking about uh, several things that give us the uh, proof that that's true. And the first one is that Satan hates Israel. Duh. We know that for sure. Uh, if he can wipe out the Jewish people, then the Lord can't fulfill Bible prophecy by returning to a repentant remnant who will welcome him into Jerusalem someday. And so that's one of the reasons he wants to get rid of Israel. Uh, also, Satan's now seeking to eliminate the Jewish people along with destroying all of humanity as well. And why does he want to do that? Because if he could reduce the world's population significantly, then that would change basically those that remain into just zombies that he can, he can control any other way he can through pharmaceuticals or through governmental control or tyranny or anything else. So that's one thing that we know is happening. Uh, the second thing is we know that, uh, Satan being against Israel means it's fulfilling biblical prophecy. That demonstrates God's sovereignty. We know God knows what's going on. He's not perturbed by any of this stuff, of course. Uh, the goal of Satan is to eliminate Israel altogether, obviously. And uh, the Lord will use ploys to destroy uh, the forces and the Antichrist eventually, but that's going to happen in his timing. We know that as well. Um, we also know that uh, the Bible says Damascus is going to be destroyed in Isaiah 17.1, and that's really coming into play real well. You can see it, I think, because of what's happening in Israel. You notice that Hamas, the concentration initially was what the Hamas did in the, that's in the southwestern corner of Israel, way down south, in other words, almost to Egypt. And we know that uh, then Hezbollah got involved, and that's the border of Lebanon, which is in the north. But then we also know that they're getting help from Iran and from Syria and from Russia as well, and Turkey, and they're all in the north. And so what we see is things creeping that direction. And so the war there is escalating, and we might be getting into the Psalm 83 war. We don't know that for sure, but we do know that Damascus is right in the middle of all of that. Damascus is only a hundred miles north of Jerusalem. So if uh, 
we see all that destruction in in, uh, Gaza right now, and we're seeing an awful lot of destruction now in southern Lebanon. And in Damascus, actually, is can be pretty much east and southeast of even most of Lebanon. And so Damascus could be starting to be uh, totally destroyed as well. So that Isaiah 17, one prophecy could happen anytime. Uh, we also know other things for sure. One of them is that continued warfare will make Israel all the more eager to make some sort of a future deal with the Antichrist. In other words, the Antichrist can come and say, I can guarantee you peace, or he might come to Israel, in my opinion, might come to Israel and say, since God has wiped out so many of your enemies, Israel, maybe we ought to uh, ask him to not do that anymore and seek peace for the world or something like that. There'll be some sort of a peace agreement, according to Daniel 9, uh, and so we know that for sure. So that's one thing that we know is going to happen. The second thing is, the opposition of Antichrist in the second half of the tribulation will be toward Israel completely, but God will protect them. Satan can't thwart God's purposes, and so Israel will run to stay away from the Antichrist. God will supernaturally protect them, and then the Antichrist will go after all the Christians, and we know that's going to happen too. That's when all of the beheadings will happen in the tribulation. That's after we're gone in the rapture. So we see all of that taking place. Uh, I was listening to Jack Hibbs the other day, and uh, he and I heard Jan Markell also say the same thing. It's like five years ago, 10 years ago, you would look for Bible prophecy coming true in the days that we live in, and you might not see anything for a while. And then now we're living in the days where virtually every single day something significant in biblical prophecy is taking place. As a matter of fact, maybe multiple times a day. And so you know that we're getting awfully close to, uh, to the culmination of God's plan. Um, there's an interesting thing. You've, I don't know whether you've heard about these. Uh, when you have a hypothesis of something happening from a mathematical point of view or something that somebody's trying to make a point, they, uh, they refer to those events as black swan events. And what, they're, what I'm saying that is what, what a black swan event is, is a, a major catalyzing event that happens that is unpredictable, <clears throat> is unusual, uh, and with the benefit of hindsight, it should have been seen and wasn't. And one of those black swan events uh, could be something like uh, something happening and was totally surprising. Uh, some sort of major, major, major leader in the world passes away, kills themselves, something like that, or some sort of a, an extra attack that happens maybe in the United States. We don't know. So that would be a black swan event, something that wouldn't be expected. Well, <clears throat> there's, there's a chance that those kind of things can happen. And we've, I think we ought to be looking for something like that. Um, Luke 21 actually talks about something like that. It says, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, cares of life, and so that day come up upon you unaware. It says, for as a snare shall it come on all of them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. In other words, people aren't expecting a black swan event. And so watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I think we all are doing that. Every time we meet together, we talk about 
these potential black swan events and they do happen, you know, like the, on October the 7th, that was a black swan event when Hamas attacked Israel. So be looking for those things because I don't think they're going away. I think there's going to be more and more of them. Uh, and we would classify them as a black swan event. You know, that, the reason they're that way is somebody said one time, prove to me that there are black swans and they started looking for, for black swans and didn't find any. They didn't find any in their city. They didn't find any. They call people up in other cities and ask if you've seen any black swans, and they said they didn't see any. And so, therefore, that proved there are no such things as black swans. Well, that's not true because we can find black swans. There might only be a few, but we can find them. So black swans are unusual, and that's the idea of calling a black swan event, something unusual that you're not expecting. But we are expecting things. We actually are looking forward to seeing certain things happen, like Isaiah 17.1 or like, Jeremiah 49, Elam being blown up. That's the uh, nuclear capability of Iran. So uh, we're looking for things like that. Uh, this next uh, article that I found that I thought was interesting is titled, What Might Happen in 2024? Now, we don't know. And nobody does for sure. I've heard people say it's going to be a year that will be highly tumultuous. Uh, that could possibly be true. It might be a year that... Uh, would be not necessarily all that tumultuous, but I think that's not going to happen. I think it will be a very significant year personally. This guy says we're approaching world war three. Well, we're not because that Bible doesn't say anything about a world war again. It does talk about conflicts that are very significant though, concerning Israel. And I do think those can happen. So can we see things like these, the uh, Psalm 83 war or the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. But I think the rapture has to happen before those things happen. But that's even good news, too. Second thing he mentions, and I've always talked about this, and it's a significant thing. He says the economic collapse of America actually be the economic collapse of America and all other countries as well. Do you know that Russia, China, Canada, and several other major countries in the world, just like the United States, are on the brink of collapse economically? And the reason is they have copied us and the idea of spending money, borrowing money, doing whatever they wanted to do, not paying any attention to paying it back. Well, that collapse should have happened many years ago. I would contend that once we got to a trillion dollars worth of national debt, that we were in danger of collapsing the economy. But now we're at 34 trillion. We are amassing so much interest on that borrowed money that in one year, one calendar year, they'll add another trillion dollars to that 34 trillion. So a year from now, it'll be 35 trillion. And that's without spending any extra money. So you can see how fast that's accumulating. So it, does economic collapse enter into everything? I think it does because economic collapse could actually bring forth an antichrist. Once again, I don't think this is going to happen until after the rapture, but we could actually suffer through some sort of an economic collapse prior to the rapture, but the Antichrist would rise after that. So is that a danger? Absolutely, it's a danger. You know, we are amassing uh, interest on our national debt at the rate of $2.5 billion a day. You just think about that. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. Real chance of no elections in November, this guy says. Now, I don't know about that, but there's one of those black swan possibilities. Um, I don't know how they would do it, but the point is that 
the enemy could do something catastrophic in this country. You know, we've led almost 10 million people into the country this uh, in the last three years under the current administration. And obviously many of those people are not good people. Many of them are combatants. Many of them probably are there for purposes that uh, to disrupt our economy, disrupt our country. So that could actually lead to some sort of a major thing concerning some elections in some states. So that could really mess things up. And it's, it's a possibility too. Uh, the illegals actually contribute to that and that we're continuing that. Did you hear, have you know, do you know that our governor has <clears throat> stopped the immigration coming across the border? That doesn't mean they're not coming across the border in, in uh, New Mexico or California or Arizona. It doesn't mean they're stopping to come across in Texas. And the U.S. government has now filed an injunction against the governor of our state saying he can't do that. Now, think of the logic in that. Why would the administration of the United States of America, federal government, ask us to stop letting illegal aliens just flood across our border? Well, they just did. So I, I admire our governor for doing what he's doing. I wish he'd done it a lot, lot long time ago. But uh, that's happening. Also, our attorney general, again, is uh, getting involved in prosecuting uh, corruption in the voting area. In other words, he's going after people who are already doing things that they shouldn't do concerning the voting procedures in this state. I'm, I'm glad he's doing those kind of things, too. So we're, we're showing people in the world we've, a better way to do things. But we've got a long way to go. And then we get to... Uh, the fact that China is, is rattling sabers against Taiwan, uh, North Korea is rattling sabers against South Korea. It's just, it's happening all over the world. And the biggest area of Christian persecution is Nigeria. Nigeria is killing Christians right and left. They've done it for a long time, but uh, it's getting really bad. But nobody seems to talk about that. Amir Sarfati, the, the Christian Jew that, that uh, has such a good reference or should uh, such a good place on telegram. Everybody ought to tune into him and listen to him quite often. He's also on YouTube. He said, basically the uh, philosophy is no Jews, no news. So in other words, if you don't hear anything about what's going on in Nigeria or what's going on in China or Russia or anything else, you're not going to hear anything unless Jews are involved. And the media seem to be concentrating on that only at the present time. And of course they also are concentrating on the fact that the, the start of the war, as far as the news media is concerned, was October the 8th. Why? Because they don't talk about the Palestinians coming across or Hamas coming across and killing Jews. They talk about when the Jews started retaliating back against Hamas. That's, that's the criteria. That's the, that's the, the horrible thing, is, is when the Jews started doing something. I'll tell you, it's something else. Um, Dr. Duck. Interesting things that he's bringing up. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention some of the things here because there's too much. But uh, he says here, after spending 54 year, 54 days, excuse me, in Gaza, a hostage was released. And here's some things that that hostage said. This lady was was uh, mistreated horribly. I won't read the things that happened to her. But she said, it's important for the world to understand what the people in Gaza are like. Now, we're not talking about Hamas now. We're talking about Palestinians that live in Gaza, not 
associated directly with Hamas. She said, I experienced hell. Everyone in Gaza is a terrorist. So it doesn't mean that just people that belong to Hamas are terrorists. She said, everyone in Gaza are terrorists. There are no innocent civilians. She said she didn't see any in those 54 days. She saw men, women, children, grandmothers, grandfathers, uh, people on the streets street that she saw, people in shops that she saw. She said they were all basically criminals. Innocent civilians don't exist in Gaza, she said. And from the moment they're born, the children in Gaza are taught to hate Jews. They're taught that Jews are descended from apes and pigs. Now, what Dr. Duck is going to say now, his thoughts about what she said, 2006, the Palestinians elected Hamas to rule over them. Two of their main goals were kill all Jews, destroy the nation of Israel. Hamas was trying to do what the Palestinian people elect them to do. So see, that whole group of people that live that close to the Jews, just right next to them in that tiny little strip of, of Gaza, are all enemies of Israel. It says Hamas has not let the Red Cross visit hostages to check on their care, which is a basic human right. Hamas has raped, tortured, and killed innocent Jewish men, women, and children just because they're Jews. Uh, Palestinians are demonstrating all over the world calling for the death of Jews and destruction of Israel. It's happening in almost every country in the world, even in the United States. I don't know whether you saw, but there was a quote, an insurrection at the White House over the weekend. Uh, they had put a fence up around the White House, ex expecting this to happen. Yeah, but people were there trying to climb over the fence, trying to make some sort of a big, big noise, pro-Palestinian. That was the whole point. And the police had to be there to stop the rioting going on. There was lots of things going on. It really was looking like an insurrection. Gee, I wonder why they didn't arrest people. There was that, there was that insurrection back on January 20th or, or January the 6th, I'm sorry, of 2021. But uh, this was an insurrection. They arrested no one. Uh, let's go on. Some other events that Dr. Duck talks about. The first one he talked about is an increase in wars and rumors of wars. Twelve nations, the U.S., Australia, Bahrain, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Germany, Italy, Japan, Netherlands, New Zealand, and Britain sent a letter to the Iran-backed Houthis in Yemen saying, let us now make our message clear to you we call for the immediate cease to all these illegal attacks on ships and sending missiles to Israel. And they said, you will bear the Houthis, you will bear responsibility for the consequences that is going to happen to you because of what you're doing. And we're trying to, I guess we're trying to bow up and make them afraid of us. I don't know why we're talking. This is the kind of thing where I know what Donald Trump would have done already. They would have just stopped the Houthis from being able to send any missiles out. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. You know how that goes. Don't talk, talk, talk. The diplomatic nonsense. See, the second thing he's talking about here is, is God's promise to draw the Jews back to the promised land. Now, this is an interesting thing. Would you think that it would be, with all the things going on in Israel and with Hezbollah in the north, Hamas in the south, that people would want to start Jews would want to start returning to their homeland? And the answer is absolutely. 
it says there's been a huge increase in the desire of Jews worldwide to relocate to Israel because of what's going on. So the fact that there's an increase in Jews waiting to relocate to Israel while a war is going on is encouraging to those who are already there. They want to go there and they want to help them. They want to fight. They want to make them their home. Uh, according to the Bible, Israel will be hated by all nations, and they already are. We already know that. Also, list of Israel's enemies in Psalm 83 includes Jordan and Iraq. They're right next door. Leaders there, those two nations are showing a greater animosity toward Israel. Jordan is, I mean, that's their neighbor. They're the direct border neighbor. And the population of Israel expected to top 10 million in 2024 with more than 70% being Jews. So I know now there's 7 million Jews there. We're talking about now it's going to go up probably significantly higher than that this year. Uh, concerning famine and wickedness of the end of the age, it's reported that on January the 4th, Hamas is killing hungry Palestinian citizens who are trying to steal humanitarian aid that Israel and others are sending to Gaza. Now, do you hear me? Israel is sending humanitarian aid to some Palestinians in Gaza. You would think they wouldn't do that. The world would think they wouldn't do that, but they are. But Hamas is killing those people. Now, what's being told everyone else in the world is that Hamas is not killing Palestinian citizens to keep them from stealing humanitarian aid. Hamas is killing Palestinians in truth because Hamas wants to steal humanitarian aid for themselves. So they're killing people. They're, they're basically killing them as they go get the, the supplies. They're killing them to get them away from the supplies so they themselves, Hamas, can get the supplies. That's not being reported either. Let's see. Um, concerning the world government on January the 7th, we got something from Tucker Carlson again. This, that guy is quite impressive in my opinion. It says there's scientific evidence that shows that COVID vaccinations have killed 17 million people worldwide. Using vaccinations that damage the immune system of children means they'll have a damaged immune system the rest of their life. Pandemic and mass vaccinations are part of the UN's plan to transform itself into a world government. And the World Health Organization is drafting new measures that will destroy national sovereignty and free speech as we know it. That's those uh, strategic initiatives that you hear about them talk about. The AARP, I hope none of us belongs to that because the AARP just advised its 38 million senior citizen members to get another vaccination. Anyway, let's see, the next thing is... Uh, Time of Jacob's trouble. Well, we know that's the same thing as the tribulation. Uh, according to the Bible, Israel will come back into existence as a nation before the tribulation period. In Isaiah 66, well, that actually has happened, obviously. According to the Bible, Israel will have to go through the tribulation period. And that's Daniel 9, 24 through 27. We know that's definitely going to happen. But all Israel will be saved, Romans 11, 26. So the Hamas-Israel war isn't the tribulation period. Some people are calling it that, and that's silly. It's not. Uh, this war could be a major step in the direction to actually 
lead us to Israel's salvation at the end, end of the tribulation period. Absolutely. Uh, we see that happening as well. So these are very significant times is all I'm trying to say. Concerning a departure of the faith, this, this is happening more and more. There is a major uh, effort now to purge out many Catholic bishops and cardinals that have been involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. Here's a particular instance. Uh, on January the 8th, a Catholic cardinal from Venezuela wrote an explicit pornographic book in 1998 that has recently come to light. And the Roman Catholic Archbishop Vigano, who's a good guy, is called upon the Swiss guards in the Vatican to arrest him and expel him and his accomplices in the Vatican. That same Cardinal Roman Catholic Archbishop Vigano has also called for the resignation of the present Pope because he is basically an apostate, and he said that. Now, there's just a couple of things I want to mention about what's going on with uh, the war of the uh, Jews and, and Hamas and, and also of Hezbollah. Israel has warned that they would not only allow world leaders a short period of time to get Hezbollah away from Israel's border with Lebanon. So he says they've, they've given them a, an ultimatum to get away or get killed. Uh, Hezbollah has a more extensive set of tunnels in Lebanon that's more sophisticated, more dangerous than the ones that were in, in Gaza. They're still blowing those things up. They've blown up over more than a hundred tunnels and killed many in those tunnels in Gaza. Now they're doing the same thing in Lebanon to Hezbollah. They blew up a tunnel a hundred meters long with several side tunnels and killed about 20 to 25 uh, terrorists in those in Southern Lebanon. Hezbollah leader Nasrallah has said that all land from the river to the sea is Palestinian and they will continue to do what they're doing until Israel is wiped off the face of the earth. Let's see. Israel said it's dismantled Hamas's command structure in northern Gaza will now focus on destroying the command structure in central and south Gaza. They are they've moved down from the north into central Gaza. Now they're moving down into the south. So they're actually going to completely wipe out all of that Gaza, that, uh, Gaza Strip. That's their goal, to get rid of everyone. Now we're not talking about the civilians. They're still giving them a chance to get away. But Egypt is building a wall, a bigger wall even now, to keep the Palestinians away from Egypt. So I don't know where they're going. Because there's no place else to go except go down further into Edom, and maybe on down into uh, Ethiopia or something like that, but they can't go to Egypt because Egypt doesn't want them there. You know, Palestinians have been kicked out of every place they've ever gone since the 60s. They tried to put in, uh, put in roots down in Jordan. Jordan kicked them out. They tried to put roots down in Syria. Syria kicked them out. They tried to put roots down in, in uh, Iraq. Iraq kicked them out. Uh, the Arabs don't like the Palestinians. And that's all I've got. So interesting things going on, folks. It, no, wouldn't you think? <laughs> Quite amazing to me. Uh, every day is something different. I try to stay plugged into it as much as possible through Amir Sarfati and Telegram and, and other places. But it's just like you have to keep reading all the time because there's so many things going on. Okay, we are in Luke chapter 7. So we're going to go to uh, verses 31 through 35. 
Uh, this is a, uh, a response of Jesus to uh, those two disciples that came from John the baptizer to ask him if he really was the Messiah. And this is kind of in a form of a parable. I'm, I'm going to call it the parable of the smart elects. And you'll see why I call that in a second. Uh, so let's read verses 31 through 35 of Luke chapter 7. Again, reading from the Amplified. It says, So to what shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? Now, what we gotta we got to start back and say, why is he saying that? Um, they had just gotten through um, with those two uh, disciples of John the baptizer coming and asking Jesus what was going on. And Jesus sent them back and told them, well, just go back and tell him what you've seen. But it says in verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers or the scribes uh, basically rejected what Jesus had said. And so then, then it says in verse 31, so what, to what shall I compare the men of this generation? What are they like? In other words, he's actually making a comment. Or this could be Luke. We don't know whether Luke actually said 31 or, or Jesus said 31. We really don't know that. But it says they are like little children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another and saying, we piped or we played wedding music to you and you did not dance. We sang dirges and wailed, playing like a funeral, and you didn't weep. John the Baptist has come neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he's a demon. Son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a man who is a glutton and a wine drinker, a friend of tax collectors and notorious sinners. And then he says, yet wisdom is indicated to be true and divine by all her children. So kind of confusing, not necessarily clear what he's actually getting at, but let me get into it so you can see. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool. Uh, it's a parable of the smart alecks. You know, we've all experienced smart alecks. You know, they come in all ages, of course. But uh, the real annoying ones are teenagers or college-age kids that think they know anything, everything and anything. They can be unruly and disobedient and objectionable, even incorrigible and obstinate. Certainly rude, no question about that. Just saying they know it all and you don't know anything. The Bible describes those who, those kind of people as being dishonoring their parents in Deuteronomy 27. Fools who reject their father's discipline in Proverbs 15. Shameful and disgraceful children who reject their parents in Proverbs 19. Selfish children who bring shame to their parents in Proverbs 29. So the Bible's full of that kind of thing. That's obviously it's been, it's been around for, for ages. So there are people of all ages that do this, of course, but this particular one is kind of talking about those kiddos. And the reason we know that is because biblically, uh, there was always weddings and they were heights of celebration and, and wild and crazy, you know, whole week long marriages and things like that. And the kids would mimic that, you know, they'd go play, marriages and there were funerals and funerals were a big deal too. You know, they all happened on the day of death. You know, Jews always put people in the ground the day that they die, but they would have a big, a big deal about a, about a funeral. They would have dirges and they'd be mourning and so on and so forth. And the kids would mock and, and play funeral and that too. So Jesus used those 
kiddos that were playing like they had weddings and playing like they had funerals to make the point that his society uh, would react to the truth in different ways. In other words, some would mock and some would not mock. So he likened the response of the people to John the baptizer and to him to that of smart aleck, smart aleck children, brats, if you want to call them brats. And we should strongly note that in total contrast to today's politically correct emphasis on tolerance, and we know what that means, neither John the baptizer nor Jesus himself hesitated at all to confront and to rebuke people with very strong language. And I think that's something we need to pay attention to. So what does that mean? When a uh, Jewish leader came to John, when they came to him, leaders came to him and, and uh, objected to what he was doing, he called them what? A brood of vipers. That's in Matthew 3, 7. John asked the superficial repenters in the crowd, and there were some superficial ones there, of who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, after calling them a brood of vipers, and again in Luke 3, and Jesus labeled the scribes and the Pharisees the same way as hypocrites, blind guides, sons of hell, fools, robbers, whitewashed tombs, and serpents. And all that's in Matthew and John. So these, these guys, both John the Baptizer and Jesus, were not, uh, not <laughs> hesitant at all to tell, tell them that they were really walking down the wrong road. Most people at that time thought of John the baptizer being a prophet, the forerunner to the Messiah, and that's predicted in Malachi 3. And that's, and he was, of course. But they would believe in John, but then not believe in Jesus. The religious elite refused to confess their sin because they didn't think they sinned, number one, and wouldn't even acknowledge the fact that they were sinners. And they wouldn't repent, certainly. So they wouldn't be baptized by John. Why should they do that? They viewed the common people who were being, were repenting, were being baptized by John as, as being uh, silly, and they looked on them with contempt. Their religious pride basically had, had them rejecting uh, whatever John was preaching and his call for repentance, his coming, his warning of coming judgment especially what John called uh, what John called them brood of vipers and so on. But eventually the common folks, and this is unfortunate of course, but some of the common folks, not all of them, but some of them started listening to their apostate leaders. And when they did that, the, these false religionists, you know, the scribes and the, and the uh, Pharisees and so on, they began to have doubts about John and about Jesus. So they paid attention to the leader's rejections and they became uncomfortable about what they had originally been listening to. So they rethought their views of John and Jesus. So then there were others that would believe in John the baptizer and his, him being a prophet and him being the forerunner of Jesus. And yet they would reject Christ. And how could you accept John's message and not believe in Jesus when you saw the things that he did? But they, that's exactly what they did. So this parable here in these verses that we just read, we can look at what it was really what going on, the introduction to it, and the illustration of it, and the application of it in the conclusion. So let's look at the introduction of it, and that's in verse 31. It says, so what shall I compare 
the men of this generation and what are they like? Most likely Luke wrote that. We don't know that for sure, but Jesus makes an assessment of this generation. Now, this is interesting. Once again, you won't see this in any of the Bibles that we have in English, but the word that's used there when it talks about generation in Greek, it's the word genea, and it actually is used in Deuteronomy and Judges and Jeremiah and Acts and Philippians to refer to a faithless and perverse generation. So it's not just a generation of people. It's a faithless and perverse generation. Now that's interesting. So he says, Oh, you of this generation, he's talking about you faithless and perverse generation. So this wicked generation guilty of the blood of the murdered prophets, the faithless generation, or any generation that rejects the Bible and the gospel. That's who this is talking to. So that's the introduction here. Now, the illustration is verse 32. And what's the illustration? He says, they are like little children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another and saying, we piped wedding music to you and you did not dance. And we sang dirges and wail playing funeral and you did not weep. Now, what's he getting at there? Well, most towns and villages in first century Israel were small little places and they didn't have city parks or things like that. So they had a marketplace where most people met during the day to, to conduct business and all the kids went to the marketplace to play in. And that's where they saw wedding celebrations, where they saw funeral processions. And so it was a playground for children. And so they would mock what they saw. And that's, that's natural. There's no problem about that. But, uh, you know, weddings were elaborate and, and uh, ornate, lasted a whole week long. And so you can see why the kids would do that. But those, uh, what happened there was uh, there would be non-participants in that. And so the kids would say, how come you're not playing along with us? And some of them would just say, we don't want to do that. So those non-participants served as a perfect illustration of the adults seeing what they're seeing. They're seeing John the baptizer saying what he's saying, telling them the truth, warning them of coming judgment, calling for repentance and so on. And then Jesus actually healing the sick, raising the dead, you know, casting out demons and all that sort of stuff. And so they were basically serving a perfect illustration of that evil, perverse uh, generation, uh, malcontents, in other words. They didn't, didn't believe it. So what's the application? 33 and 34 verses, it says, For John the baptizer came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, yet you say he has a demon. Well, that's true. You know, he was a Nazarite, remember? He was sworn since the day he was born that he would never drink wine and that he uh, ate, what would he say? He ate uh, locusts and honey. That's, that's what he ate. And he says, but, you, but he has a demon, they say. And then it says, a man who is a glutton and a wine drinker was Jesus because he ate with tax collectors and notorious sinners. So he was somebody that they didn't like either because he was hanging around with sinners. So they were, they were mad at John the baptizer for being uh, such a recluse. And then they were mad at Jesus for, for being around sinners. So Jesus' illustration uh, John's ministry to the funeral game and Jesus to the wedding. So you think about that. The people that went to funerals, they were somber and they didn't uh, eat or drink. They were, they were quiet and they, they were mourning and so on and so forth. So they likened John to be a, at a funeral. 
But Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And so therefore he was mocking like he was in a wedding party. So John ate no bread, drank no wine, meaning his ministry. It was a somber, serious dirge surrounding a warning of the coming judgment, which, which is appropriate. And sinners needed to repent and mourn. And the reaction of the spiritual smart alecks to John's ministry was self-denial and judgment. And that was pretty shocking that they would do that. First, they hailed him as a prophet of God. Then they turned around and dismissed him as having a demon. So you can see why I call this the parable of the smart aleck. And then John's behavior was different, unique, and antisocial. And some concluded he was actually acting like somebody possessed by a demon. So many would come to the same conclusion about Jesus, but really the people's motive for labeling John there was their hatred and rejection of his message. But now, unlike John, Jesus ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors. They participated in the, quote, normal enjoyments of life, social life, weddings, as well as funerals. But he was, he was uh, closely uh, reminiscent of a wedding because he was just acting normally around other people. And John was a recluse, so he must have a demon. Jesus was interacted with people that they didn't like, sinners and tax collectors. So he was a glutton and a drunkard. So that's why he's calling these people smart alecks, because they're acting like kiddos, like teenagers. So the Lord rebuked that evil generation for rejecting both divine messengers like John the baptizer, who proclaimed the truth, and Jesus, who said the same things, repent, be baptized. So John was sober, severe, stark, preacher of judgment, calling for repentance, and he kept himself separate from sinners, where Jesus, in contrast, was tender, merciful, gracious, compassionate, a preacher of blessing who stayed around sinners whom he came to seek and save. So it can be seen that I think this is interesting that the message, the overall message is the same, John the baptizer and Jesus, but they went about it in different ways. So what I'm saying is it's not the style of ministry that matters. It's the substance of ministry that matters. So both men call for repentance. Yeah. Both men promise forgiveness. Yes. Both men warned of judgment and proclaimed the coming of the kingdom, but yet they did it in different ways. Issue is not the form of ministry. The issue is the truth of the message. So that's, and it's so interesting that people would actually condemn both ways. They were not interested in, and hearing from either one, regardless of the way that they presented it. So what's the conclusion? Well, that's verse 35. What's the conclusion? Wisdom is vindicated, shown to be true and divine by all her children, that is, by their life, their character, and their deeds. So the conclusion is not all who hear the gospel message will reject it, despite all the, the scoffing smart alecks. The gospel will always produce results. Now, we don't know how many people. We don't know the percentage of, of uh, people who correctly interpret the gospel message and actually believe in it, but we know it does work, absolutely. And there are always two kinds of spiritual children in every generation. Everybody's spiritual. We know that. Everybody who's ever been born or ever will be born will live forever. There's no question about that. We all have souls that live forever. 
So there are two kinds of spiritual children. It's black and white. Once again, smart aleks who scoff and wise children. So the smart aleks are the fools devoid of true, to true wisdom and marked by hatred of the truth and the rejection of those who proclaim the truth. But wisdom's children are the ones that are redeemed, the ones that are, are given righteousness, do righteous deeds, and lead transformed lives. So that's what that little parable of the smart aleks is in that short little section of Luke. I think it's interesting because it actually shows us the uh, practicality of the gospel. It shows us the practicality of both John the baptizer and Jesus. It got down to the nitty gritty about people making a distinction and yet not making a distinction. They made a distinction between the two, the two different styles of ministry, but yet they were both men were preaching exactly the same thing. And I think there's a lot of that going on today too. Um, I think that means that you can have your favorite preacher online or on television or whatever. You can have your favorite preacher and other people might not particularly care of that for that style. But if, as long as they're preaching the same thing, as long as they're giving the same message, it doesn't matter. Style is not that important. It's the content and the uh, fullness of the content. Some people can preach a, a portion of the true message and, and be right about that, but not actually preach the full content. And that's not good because you need to get the full content of the message so that it makes sense. Anyway, that's what I've got for you this evening. Uh, anybody have any comments about what we talked about tonight? You'll have to unmute yourself to, to talk if you have something. I do, Roger. About, okay. the, about the 24 election, uh, if the WHO initiative takes effect in May like it's supposed to, like we they're thinking it will. Right. They could declare with virus X or whatever they're going to call it um, that there will be a worldwide pandemic state of emergency and the WHO will take over our governance. And, and it will be a world at that time. That so, would be a black swan event. Absolutely. Yes, that, and that's a very likely thing to happen. It is a very likely thing. Yeah. True. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, very good. I hope you guys are making it fine in the cold weather. Uh, it's not 2021, praise the Lord. Uh, we're not having day after day after day where it stays below 10 degrees or below 15 degrees. It goes all the way down to zero. That's a wonderful thing. We don't have any precipitation to speak of. That's also a good thing. So, you know, praise the Lord. The cold weather's coming. Also, I, I want to remind everybody that this is the 15th of January. One month from now, we're going to be approaching springtime. So think of it that way. I know it's still a little short, but when we lived in San Antonio, San Antonio springtime would show up the first week of March. And we're a little bit different than that, but not a whole lot. We could actually be in a, in a springtime sort of a way in just a little over a month. So look forward to it. I'm <laughs> looking forward to it already. You know, we got so much heat last summer. Now we're getting so much cold, but it's really not as bad as it was three years ago. It was really bad three years ago. So just remember, we've been through worse, and it'll, it'll I, be okay. I have a question. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, 
about all the nations being so far in debt. Uh -huh. If we owe China a bunch of money and China owns somebody else, it just seems like it doesn't really matter. Because well, you know, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely a good, a good comment, a good uh, observation. Um, the point is, if China can't handle their money and can't do what they're doing, if they fall first, then it doesn't really affect us. That means we owe them an awful lot of money. If their economy fails, well, we won't owe them money anymore. That'd be one of the things that, that motivates us to keep borrowing money from them, knowing that their economy is not very good. But uh, the usually the usual reaction or the usual uh, things that happen to a country that is that much in debt is the fact that their their monetary system continues to lose value. You know, we're down to approximately one twenty fifth of what the dollar was worth only forty years ago. So it's it's matter of factly it's going to be, get worse and worse if we don't do something about this now what we could do is reverse what nixon did back in what was it 72 or 3 taking us off the gold standard we could put us, our money back on the gold standard and that would put us on the pathway of being able to have a better economy but it wouldn't get rid of that debt you know will we ever get rid of that debt and the answer to that is no you'll have there's going to have to be a worldwide collapse for that to actually get straightened out. So, but your point is well made, Phil. That's true. It seems like the way the world is so interconnected and they did all that COVID thing all at the same time, everybody, that yeah. they could just do, well, we'll just cancel it. And yeah, and they could do something like that too. That they that's possible as well. Um I understand what they're trying to do is to come up with a new monetary system worldwide and basically do what you just said, you know, value all monetary systems the same way. Everyone would be equal, you know, a, Do a Deutsch Mark would be equal to a dollar and a peso would be equal to a dollar and so on and so forth. And just basically start all over again with the gold being, being the uh, basis for all monetary value. And they think that will solve the issue. But the point is, can you get everyone to actually accept that and do it? And I don't know whether that's possible or not. I know that's one of the, one of the theories that they have. We'll see. If they we'll did the, the gold and silver or even precious gems, then your the currency would be worth how much gold and silver, et cetera, that you have. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. You'd have to have the money backing up the 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 uh, currency. Uh, I think we're still heading toward a digital world, a digital currency else everywhere. And when that happens, uh, control is out of our, is out of our control. Control resorts to someone else when we get a digital currency. So that's not a good thing. So that's why I hope we continue to have bills backed up by gold. In other words, they cannot print money unless they have the gold to back it up, which means the money actually has worth. And so therefore you could go into a bank and demand gold for your, for your stacks of, of bills. And that's the way it should work. And they should be able to do that for you. So that way you've got monetary backup to everything you're spending. And that way it stays the same. In other words, a dollar would be worth a dollar and it wouldn't go down in value. So that, that would be good. It used to be that way, but it, of course it hadn't been that way in a long time. Anybody else have any comments? 
Well, I appreciate you guys uh, zooming in. Uh, we'll be back to normal hopefully next weekend. I think the weather is going to look like it's going to be pretty normal for the next uh, couple of weeks. Of course, we know how, how reliable that kind of a thing is, a forecast. But uh, thank you for showing up tonight. What's that? I didn't understand. Well, thanks anyway, everybody. We'll, we'll stop there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the practicality of it, Lord. We, we know that it is practical. It is useful. It is your word. It is, it is the living word of God. It is divine. It is truthful. And it is current. It always will be because you wrote it. But we thank you that uh, we do recognize the, the times that we live in. We do recognize that there are different ways of spreading the gospel, that there are different methods, there are different styles. But Lord, as long as people know that uh, they're sinners, people know that they need to repent of their sins, be, be uh, ashamed of their sins, be shameful, be, be aware that they are sinners, and then seek forgiveness. And the only way to do that, of course, is to lean on and accept the shed blood of Jesus Christ because he died for us. He paid our penalty so we wouldn't have to pay our penalty, which is death. And that would be this soul death, this, the death of our souls in hell. And he paid that penalty so that wouldn't happen. And so we accept that. And because of that, we are made righteous. We have the Holy Spirit given to us as the gift of the Spirit so that we can live a life that's, that's glorifying to God. And as long as that message is, is made, regardless of the style, uh, some people like fire and brimstone, some people like kind, gentle, but others just like straightforward preaching like we get from Pastor Mac. So we, we love it all. And Lord, as long as that message is there, it doesn't matter what style it is. Thank you, Lord, for that lesson tonight. So watch over us and guide us through the cold weather, Lord. We like to go back to what we would call normal in Texas, which I don't even think there is such a thing. Everything is so variable. As they say, you know, wait 10 minutes and the weather will change. So uh, watch over and guide us, Lord, and keep us going on the right path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.